0: That music means it is time to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. It's here. The day's finally here. Deck the halls. How do you deck the halls? Well, you figure that one out in your house and come on along to the radio backyard fence where all of our fences are decked. I hope you're having a great day celebrating the gift God gave us in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And to celebrate here on the program, I thought, what, what should we air on Christmas Day? We could do something special, you know, a musical thing. And then I thought, what about the two Michaels? Yeah, on Christmas Day, you're going to hear from those boys of the Bible. They put the men in commentary. They put the fess in professor. They put the gel in angelic, the ur in myrrh, the Sense in frankincense, <laughs> and the old in gold. They even put the yule in brunner. Dr. Michael Van Lanningham and Dr. Michael Rodelnik are on deck as we feature questions about Christmas from the Bible and all things Christmas therein in Scripture. But don't call with your questions today. Our program is not live. We're recorded. Michaels and I are home with our families and our pets. And I'm, I'm sure Dr. Ridelnick is wearing his Yankees jersey all day today. No Trisha, no Ryan. They have the day off. But the good news is, we still get to have some fun studying the Bible. That's what the two Michaels bring to this program. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, you can find out more about us. The website is up and running here on Christmas Day. Let me take a breath before we get started. It's not time for a Friday sigh. It's going to be a Monday breath. <sighs> uh, this program, Chris Fabry Live, began in 2008. And I'm going have Dr. Rydelnik on by himself for the first couple of years, and then one day he suggested, hey, the next time I come on, let me bring my friend, Mike Van Lanningham, Dr. Van Lanningham. And I don't think I was resistant to, us, to his suggestion because I trusted Michael, but I didn't know how it would work out. Well, pretty soon into our first program, I knew this is going to be a great addition to our conversation because there was just this Camaraderie and chemistry and whatever you want to call it. Now, this was uh, a couple of years before Dr. Redelnik began hosting Open Line. So, in 2010, the two Michaels came on the first time. In April of 2012, the uh, two-hour Saturday Bible study across America called Open Line began. So, we went back through some of our December conversations that we've had over the last 15 years. And this is the one that rose to the top. It kind of captures the spirit of our friendship, our laughter, and the deep desire to dig into God's Word and really understand what it means to rightly divide, to rightly interpret the Bible. And let's be honest, not everybody agrees with everything the two Michaels say. I mean, I, I hear it from you, and, and there are folks who write me after. But what about this? And I think that's good. They don't always agree with each other. But I love the way that they model that disagreement with each other because you look at this verse or you look at this passage and you see it differently than I do. Well, why? Explain that to me. And they have this civil conversation going on. I've always appreciated that about them. And there is this sense of family that we get together as well. We often talk about our wives and our kids and our struggles and difficulties and those hard parts of life that have brought us together. You may not know this. Dr. Redelnik has taken a few weeks off because of a medical procedure and the recovery that he's gone through. HIPAA laws don't let me go into detail on that. That's all I'm going to tell you. But one of the texts I sent him during that struggle that he was having was a morning when I was going through the massive book of Third John. <laughs> and right there at the start, John writes, to my dear friend Gaius, I love you in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. And I texted Michael that and I said, here's the Gaius prayer. I'm praying this for you. And you can't pray that for everybody because a lot of people aren't healthy spiritually. But you can be when you lean on him, when you lean on God through Christ. And I pray that for you as well. I pray you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. And if you're not in good health spiritually, you come on along. Studying God's Word will help you see that. Uh, a note about our format today, there are a few parts of this conversation that are dated, so we're going to try to uh, take those out. One is, Michael and I talk on uh, about an open line program we did with Eva and Tricia. There are a couple of references throughout the program, so disregard that. Uh, or the phone number, or a mention of Hanukkah, which was just before we aired the program five years ago. This is for your listening pleasure on Christmas Day, especially the beginning of the program, where I was in rare form in introducing my two good friends. Now here they are bringing good tidings of great joy to the radio backyard fence. They put the apt in caption. They put the grit in integrity. They put the rain and sovereignty. The yet and yeti. They put the in Hanukkah. I'm talking
1: about the two Michaels. <laughs> you just I, where do you come up with these? They stuff? put the in Hanukkah. Yeah, just clear your favorite. throat, will you? Yeah. They even put
0: the pa in pa rum pa pump pum oh.
1: <laughs> Merry Wednesday before the Wednesday before Christmas, gentlemen. How oh. are you? <laughs> well, I'm pretty good. How are you, Chris? <laughs> I'm looking at this well. picture.
2: I can't believe it. <coughs> the one that you posted, yeah. just, no, just you don't looked, like that picture.
0: I, I like it's it. a good picture. The guy well, I, well, on well, the
2: well, left is really handsome. That's I don't well, know. Let me see, of course that.
0: he is. Yeah. <laughs> you see, we both wear. We both have glasses on, but Van Lanningham doesn't. Do you wear contacts, Van Lanningham? I, I
1: wear. I wear a multifocal, really high pollutant one in my right eye, so I can read. Only in your right well, eye. Right I never eye. knew that Listen, about. Is it I've a different had, color? I I've, no. I've had. I've had two cataract surgeries. Um, you put as, a young, cat in as, as young as a guy, yeah. As young a guy as I am, because uh, cancer radiation therapy fried the lenses in my eyes. Oh, and so when right. they give you a cat a new lens, it corrects all your vision. And yeah. so the only thing I need is something to be able to read with. Otherwise, huh. my distance vision is really great. Let's talk about that for the rest of the hour. Okay, yeah, no, that's, that's a really a new, important thing. I've been so, really looking. Is, yeah. I've been looking forward to cataract <laughs> surgery for that reason. Oh, but, that was fun. Yeah, the first, the first, the <laughs> first, my first eye, my right eye. They didn't put me deep at all. I was awake through Uh-oh. the whole thing. I, in fact, I heard them say, oops. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was thinking, wait a minute, not oops. But it worked out okay. <laughs> so the old comedy nice. bit. Oops, I know what oops. I mean
2: when I say oops. Yeah.
0: All right. I love having you two on because we can dig into the scriptures and we can look at what the Bible has to say and uh, we'll start with you, Michael. You want to take us to Isaiah
2: for this little-known prophetic thing that was going on? Well, I'll tell you what. I, it's not a passage I often think of in terms of messianism at Christmas time. However, we were working uh, on a on a Bible study that you were on with Trisha McMillan and Eva. Uh, we pre-recorded it yesterday. It's going to air on December 22nd on Open Line, and we really never got to too. this part. I, you so know, we too. just ran out of time, uh, and. It was what Simeon says about the Messiah being the glory of your people Israel, but a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And I am going to be uh, talking a little bit on Saturday, this Saturday, about uh, the Jewishness of Christmas, that that the birth of the Messiah was to be as the glory of his people Israel. But we cannot forget that he's the light to the Gentiles. And this is taken directly from two of the four servant songs in Isaiah. So in Isaiah 42.6, it talks about the Messiah being a covenant for the people. That refers to him being a covenant mediator for the people of Israel and a light to the Gentiles. And the Messiah is also said in 49.6, I love this, that God says of the servant, it's not enough for you to be my servant raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. It's not enough just for you to be the Messiah of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations, for the gentiles, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And I think that these two passages are what was on these they were on Simeon's mind as he saw the Messiah and said this is not just the Messiah of Israel. This is the one that will gather the nations, and he is the, not just the king of Israel, he is the king of the world. And it's a great reminder at Christmas that the king was born, not just the king of Israel, yes, you know, born as the king of Israel, but the light to the nations.
0: That's really interesting. Michael, do you have anything to add to that?
1: You know what? Just, um, I, I really appreciate what Michael said over and over again. You see in the Hebrew Scriptures... That when God restores Israel to her land and in spiritual ways as well, then there's going to be huge blessing to the rest of the world. And you see indications of that unpacked um, at, the, at the first coming of Christ. It'll be doubly clear and super clear at the second coming. Um, the thing I always found so interesting is that Jesus is not only the king and the Messiah of Israel, but he's the king and Messiah of everybody. Mm-hmm. And verses mm-hmm. like that point in that direction. It's a great reminder. And and then, looking and, forward, and, and your, every,
2: your, Mike V. did a commentary in the Moody Bible commentary on Matthew. And I think that it's really kind of cool that in Matthew 2, and Mike talks about this, that it's not the leaders of Israel who Herod asks, where's the Messiah to be born? They know Michael 5 two. They got the right verse. They don't mm-hmm. go see him. Uh, But who is it? The Magi, the Gentiles who come and they've seen his star and they come to worship him. Interesting. Well,
0: there's more to come from the two Michaels straight ahead here on Chris Fabry Live. It's Christmas Day. We're looking at the Bible. We're learning more about Jesus and we're doing it together. This program originally aired five years ago. Don't call us today, but sit back, relax, enjoy the conversation. Again, straight ahead on Moody Radio. Merry Christmas from all of us at Moody Radio and especially Chris Fabry Live. Oh, I hope you're having a good day. We've decided to go back into the archives. We went back five years to pull this program together of the two Michaels that we did early in December that year. So you hear some dated references. You were talking about Christmas coming up. Um, (laughs) But you have to hear this segment because we, we started to get some response on our Facebook page. <laughs> to the to the picture that Trisha posted and people started making some snide comments about the two Michaels and me together so that's how it goes and you can see it I think Trisha is going to try to put that up uh, and, and so don't disregard the dated references but here we go this is how we started this segment of the program ha. <laughs> I just saw Sue Van Lanningham signed into Facebook, and she said they put the gee in
3: geeks. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, oh, come on. I
0: love it.
1: I love it.
0: Okay. The next person says, who is this? Bob says, two and a half men. <laughs> two and a half <laughs> Bob, men. thanks a lot. Well, okay, he's probably talking right. about me being there. Go half. to the Facebook okay. page. You can have fun here as well. Just go to uh, Chris Fabry Live or look it up on Facebook, Chris Fabry Live. We are talking about the Bible here today, and you can call us like Lori did in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Hello there, Lori. Go right ahead.
3: Hello. Good afternoon. I have a question about um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And it talks about the shepherds. And I was wondering if you could um, give some... Um, instruction on the historical um, viewpoint of the shepherds or the Jewish viewpoints of the shepherds. And I had hmm. a question whether they were Levitical shepherds and if they um, were serving uh, the priests at that time with the sacrificial Ooh. lamb.
1: Lori, you, you are right on target. Good wow. Lori. Okay. Isn't so I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to answer the question that you didn't ask. It's really interesting that there are scholars and pastors out there who say that shepherds were considered sort of second-rate citizens because out with the sheep, they couldn't have been all that careful to be clean and you know all of that. And so they were considered to be sort of low-down kind of people. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. Mm. Uh, David was a shepherd, and and obviously there was nothing negative associated with him about that. And that that actually is is a myth, and it's not true. Um, so shepherds were they were not they were not regarded as second rate citizens. And now I'm going to let Michael answer the actual question well, you asked. I just I think that's
2: uh, I'm so, I didn't know what Mike was going to say there, and I'm just like going yes, thank you very much. The the idea people will cite the verse in Genesis about how uh, they that that Joseph had to bring his family to Goshen because they were they were herdsmen. And herdsmen were reviled in Egypt. Well, that's in Egypt. It's not in Israel. And it's a mistake to take that verse and apply it to a couple, how many hundreds of years later, 1,400 years later, 1,500 years later, from Egypt to Israel. And so Mike's 100% right. I do think that knowing where shepherds' fields are, that it's likely that these were I don't know if they were, we would call them Levitical shepherds, but they were likely shepherds who were uh, caring for the sheep that would be used, the lambs that would be used for sacrifice in the temple. And I think that's probably they, the reason they were invited to come see the, the baby uh, that was born, because they are the ones that are tending the lambs that are offered for sacrifice for sin and they said, You can come look at the Lamb of God. Oh,
1: that's cool, Michael. Yeah, that's that's what, cool.
2: That's what I think yeah. is happening. So, they, we, yeah, I think that's, that's, you're, li- you're right on target with that. Huh. Lori, what yeah, do
3: you say? Um, just a, a follow up question um, the swaddling cloths. Oh. Did that have anything to do with the shepherds or the tending of the lambs?
1: Not as People far as that, I but no. I don't believe that that's the case. There, it was a tradition, a custom uh, in those days that when a child was born, they thought it was important to get their limbs straightened out very quickly. And so they would sort of wrap them in cloths, almost like a mummy with their, with their arms and legs being um, straightened out as a result. Hmm. And, um, and that was, that was common custom back then. And they almost certainly, obviously, apparently did that with Jesus as well, which leads me to think that in the few cases where I've seen my grandkids when they were babies have to have their limbs straightened out, they screamed Mm. bloody murder. And so... You know, little Lord Jesus, no crying, crying he, he makes, makes. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, uh, he probably was bellowing. I bet you know. he cried, yeah. Yeah, I bet he was. So yeah. I, I don't believe that there's any connection with the shepherds or the sheep that way. What does the uh, Greek say there? Michael, do you have your Greek New Testament? I I have this, it. This? I don't have it open. Which which verse, verse? specifically? The,
0: the swaddling cloth. And there the baby was wrapped in a manger. Yes, is... Uh, what verse is that? Luke two twelve, is that's what Ryan says? Luke two uh, twelve. You. Okay. This will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. What is cloth what is the word there in
2: Greek? I'll tell He's you. He's turning. He's I hear pages turning. There it is. Mm-hmm. And this is the Greek teacher, uh, when when he speaks, he speaks with authority. Mm-hmm. So
1: Oh, um mm-hmm. yeah, it's actually it's just a verb, um, to be to be wrapped up in baby cloths, is literally huh. literally what it is. Um, and so, yeah, for what it's worth, it's a participle. So you will find a baby being wrapped in baby cloths and lying in a trough to eat. <laughs> animals to eat out of. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean that's actually what the, the verb the, means. It means to be to be wrapped in baby cloths. So, so uh, once so
2: again, we, the HCSB really captures it nicely. Wrapped snugly. There you and go. Clock.
1: That's it.
0: And if your pastor says, you know, between now and Christmas or said last Sunday that the that the shepherds were, you know, kind of outcasts and they were smelly and all that, don't go up yeah, and bang yeah, your please. pastor no, over the head no. and say, you're a heretic. Okay. Yeah, thank you very don't, much. Thank never you. Do use that. what we talk about here, uh, you know, the specifics of the Bible to go beat somebody up over uh, I don't know why I said that, but well, I no, I appreciate it. it. Oh, people do that point. all the time. Yeah. They,
2: they, they want. They say, "My pastor said they call open line," and I say, "Listen, I don't want to argue with your pastor." And a lot of times, people have uh, backgrounds that they read someplace that are somehow, you know, th- sometimes it's hard to know whether it's a legitimate Jewish background or right. not, yeah. and that's where they're getting it from.
0: Yeah. And there's always the the off chance, the, the just the
2: possibility. Uh, oh.
0: <laughs> about something, you know, yeah. you're not right about every jot and tittle. And that, that's I'm not true, that except you're wrong. I'm just there, there is a standard though. All right. When so Mike and I disagree,
2: uh, then one of us may be wrong. However, when we're in agreement, I just got to tell you, we're most likely right. That's most likely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A great way
0: to start us off, Lori. Dave is in Chicago. Hi, Dave. Why'd you call? Hi, gentlemen. Yeah, so this being the Christmas season, I wanted to ask about the Magi, the three wise men. They're kind of mysterious characters, so I'd like you to explain a little bit about what we, what we think we know about them, and also, more importantly, what is their theological significance? What do they tell us about God, about Jesus?
2: I, I would just start with uh, people want to know how in the world did God show them that star? I think that, that the best way to understand that they're likely from Babylon— Uh, where they were wise men, magi. They functioned as sort of counselors uh, to the king. They were astronomers. That's why they're looking up at the stars. And they are the heirs of the ministry, the descendants of the ministry of Daniel, Daniel the prophet. He was one of them. He was a magi, uh, one of the magi. Uh, he was a mad Gus, I guess you would call it. But anyway, but uh, he was one of the wise men of Babylon. And I'm sure he taught them what the Hebrew scriptures have to say about the Messiah. And other wise men learned of it. And then as astronomers, when they're looking up at the stars, uh, they get the, this, this, I think it was, I don't think it was really a star because stars don't move. I think it was the Shekinah glory of God, and they see God's glory. They think it's a star, but they're seeing God's glory, and it's leading them. and And so that's where they come from. I think they come from Babylon. They're wise men. They have the biblical heritage from Daniel, and then they see God's glory, and it leads them to the the place where Messiah was born.
1: Do you, Michael? Do you think they were Jewish? I uh, doubt it for Jews, maybe. I doubt it. Okay. I doubt it because
2: yeah. uh, very few of the Jews. It's right. possible that
1: some of them were the Magi, but right. more they were Babylonians. See, I, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't. I think it's unlikely. We don't know for sure, but I think yeah. it's unlikely that they were. And I think one of the theological significances here is, as and Michael already touched on this, is that we have then Gentiles who actually have some exposure to Scripture and the coming of the Messiah. And they get up, and they leave their home, and they come, and they go all the way to Bethlehem to see him, and uh, the Jewish leaders didn't. They they are there in Jerusalem when these guys show up, but they don't bother to go to Bethlehem and check it out. And they knew that Bethlehem was the place of the birth, so they don't go. And so I think what we have here, one of the more theologically significant aspects of this— is that we have Gentiles who are seeking the Jews' king and the Jews' Messiah. And I think that that's a great lesson for all of us.
2: I think the Jewish leaders, uh, I want to be really careful. I don't think it's because they were Jewish that they didn't go see the Messiah. I mean, the the Magi came across a desert, so to speak. You know, they came far. The Jewish leaders had eight kilometers or eight miles maybe to go to Bethlehem, and they didn't go. But I don't think it's because they were Jewish. I tell you what I think it was. I think it's because they were religious leaders. And it's what I would call religious or scholarly indifference. And it's one of the things that I have seen, having been in academia, that very often it's possible to get so caught up, for those of us who are in academics, to get so caught up in the content. I mean, they knew the verse, they quoted it right, they exegeted it properly. They, they're terrific exegetes. They just had no life to get up and go. And it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the cautions I would give anyone in academia, that it's not enough to engage with the Bible on an academic level, we have to engage with it on a relational that's level. So you can know in your
0: head, but not have it travel to your heart to get you up and moving to see this thing that God was doing. Exactly. Yeah. Dave, that's a great question. I'm glad you got through today. Uh, clear up the whole three thing, the three wise <laughs> men, so that, so that we can beat well, <clears throat> be pastors over the head about that.
1: Yeah, listen, I mean, okay. So aside from the fact that there weren't three, aside from the fact that they weren't kings, and aside from the fact that they weren't oriental in terms of being Asian, like, like yes. Eastern Asian, Southeast Asian? Other than that... oriental as it was used in past times. Other than that, then the, the Christmas song is perfectly accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we
0: three kings they had three gifts tar, yeah. they had three gifts and yeah, that's right, where, right, right,
1: and
2: right that's where they come up with the idea that there's three and they weren't kings right right
0: yeah. um let's talk with Sarah in Canton Ohio uh, Sarah before we take a <laughs> break hi Sarah go right ahead
3: <laughs> hi my husband and I have been believers for a long time um recently though within the past uh, few years my husband's Theology has shifted some, um, and he now believes that we should follow like Jewish traditions in the festivals, um, celebrate those. Because mm-hmm. even though we're Gentiles, um, we've been grafted in, and I didn't know if you could provide some insight on that, because mm-hmm. we differ on how we view that.
2: Sure. Well, let, let me just minute. start off by saying, uh, the, the verse in Romans 11 where it talks about Gentiles like a wild olive branch being grafted in, I don't think they're being grafted into Israel because the natural branch, natural olive branch, that's Israel. So the tree trunk's got to be something different from Israel. It's the – I think it's the spiritual aspects of the Abrahamic promises and uh, the – that would be like the new covenant. So the spiritual part of the Abrahamic covenant becomes the new covenant. And, and it talks in 2 Corinthians 3 uh, about Gentiles being ministers of the new covenant – And so I think Gentiles are grafted in there. Uh, I have to say this really quick. I think people are free to keep the Jewish holidays as long as they do it out of freedom, not obligation. Mm. They do it in a Messiah-centered way, in Christ-centered way, and not a uh, legalistic way. Let me follow up with that when we come back. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio.
0: Look at this, uh, Edward has never given, and he's in New York, and he just gave a gift to Chris Fabry Live. And look at Aaron, in uh, Spokane Valley, has never given, and at least that I see the star beside your name, name there, Aaron. Thank you, Joyce, Joyce in Naperville has uh, see all the folks are are jumping on board, and if you want to give a gift to Chris Fabry Live, you become a Back Fence friend. You can do that. Become a Back Fence partner as well. Give a gift each month. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org, or call us at 866-95-FABRY. The, uh, the whole question about Messianic congregations, uh, the, the question I have, and we were talking with Sarah in the break, um, the question I have is, how do you know when what the line is? When you step over this line, Michael, it's like there's danger in excess in anything, you know, in, in any way, uh, mm-hmm. belief— when is there a line that you say when you go beyond this, then there can be a problem?
2: Yeah, I think the line is turning up, uh, turning a freedom to do something that mm-hmm. we're free to do by choice uh, into an obligation that we must do. That's when we go, because I think that in many respects, keeping for me, keeping Jewish holidays are very meaningful. They help me express my faith in in Jesus, in Yeshua. But if I were to say I am obligated for my salvation or sanctification to keep Jewish holidays, I think I've stepped over a line. So I think as long as there's no ought in it, we're fine. It's when we start saying there's an ought to it, either for salvation or sanctification, that this Mm -hmm. is obedience to God and this makes us more spiritual. I think that that is where
1: we go over the line. I, if I can add something to that, mm-hmm. now coming from a Gentile, from somebody who's not associated with the Messianic movement, other than that's my King and God too. Yeah, and, and we're good friends. And we're yeah <laughs> we are. You know, if I I've I've run into Jewish believers who really saw um, keeping the law as the way to get sanctified. Mm-hmm. and the Apostle Paul makes it so clear that we are not sanctified, we're not saved by the works of the law, we're not sanctified by the works of the law, we're sanctified by the Spirit as he grows his fruit in us, mm-hmm. and um, and I think the obsession that I've seen with some people, not very many, but with some, um, to keep the law, I think is misdirected. Oh, I agree, and the
2: thing is, none of them can do it. Right. Nobody can do it. Yeah, exactly it. I, I mean, I, I won't even go into it, but I've sat with Jewish believers who say things like that, and then I start saying, well, do you do this? Do you do this? <laughs> and, and then they're like, well, you're getting too personal now. I said, well, <laughs> the law is pretty personal. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, you don't mean don't keep the law. You're saying don't trust in the law to, to make you sanctified. For sanctification. Yeah. A yeah. yeah. if, if
2: person wants to keep kosher, let's say. That's part of the law. They want to keep kosher. As long as they don't think that this is making them more holy, now it mm-hmm. might be a kind of thing where it's a spiritual discipline. I I I see this as part of my spiritual practices, so that when there's things I need to resist, this has taught me how to resist things that would be wrong. That's that's, that's a, a, but that's, that's a, different though. That's different than saying eating uh, food that I uh, certain foods are wrong. That's different mm-hmm. than uh, making a choice. Spiritual discipline. Yeah. Eating foods are wrong and it could be shellfish. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Wally is in, is in Sheridan, Indiana. Wally, what'd you want to ask today?
3: Thanks, Chris. Um, we have a Jewish couple that we're friends with, not close, but friends. My wife works with her.
2: And I heard you say that we can do that in freedom. And I never even thought about that before. But if we went to them and asked them to
3: instruct us in how they do that and why they do that. How would we be able to incorporate the gospel
2: into that towards them? I think, uh, first of all, you have to be sincere about wanting to learn from them, not just use it as a pretense to get the, you know, now I can tell them about Jesus. You know, there has to be a a, a genuineness of it. Uh, Secondly, I would say, if they agree, say, listen, one of the things that we want to do is not only learn from you, but we also... Uh, feel because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that we want to have him central to it. And would that bother you to show us about how to keep Jewish holidays as long as we are going to be adding this piece about Jesus? And uh, if they say, oh no, we don't mind, well, then it's going to come up so naturally. You're going to talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Yom Kippur and uh, of the Day of Atonement. And so, That'll be your natural way of getting into it. Now, if you tell them that, they may say, no, we're really not interested in helping you. So be it. That's it. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I appreciate Michael. I heard Michael preach a message down here at, at, um, at Moody probably 10 years ago. And he spoke about, you know, how do we build bridges to our Jewish friends? And he said, one of the things that we do is that we emphasize with them just how Jewish Jesus is and the New Testament is and the mm-hmm. New Testament writers. That that we are enormously indebted to the G- Jewish pe- Jewish people, um, because our faith comes from that and flows out of that. And as we become aware of what those connections are, the precursors in the Old Testament, as they're coming to fruit in the New Testament, and we can share those with Jewish people, our Jewish friends, then then I think that that's that sort of builds a bridge to them too. Michael, you should you should develop that because I didn't say yeah. that very well. I think but. you said it perfectly. That's all I needed to yeah. hear. Yeah. Okay. That's just it. wonderful. Yeah. That's exactly
2: yeah. what I said, and it's exactly what I mean. I think that that too often Jewish people don't know that that Jesus is Jewish and that our faith is Jewish. I was when I was a Moody student, I was doing remember though we have PCM at Moody, practical mm-hmm. Christian Ministry. And I was doing it at a, a nursing home and there was a Jewish woman and she came to hear me preach, but she said, I don't believe this because You know, uh, that's for the Goyim, she said, that's Uh, for the Gentiles. mm -hmm. And I said, Oh, really? And she was a Yiddish speaker, and I grabbed a Yiddish New Testament, which I happened to be able to read, Hmm. and I read her the very first verse of the New Testament. And it's this is the generations of Jesus, the Messiah, the The son son of Abraham, Abraham, son of David, David. son of Abraham. And then uh, she put her hand on her cheek and looked shocked. And she said, You mean he's Jewish? No clue. Wow. No clue. And then that opened the door for lengthy discussions with her week after week about the Jewishness of believing in Jesus. I'm glad uh, for your heart, Wally. Thank you for calling today. Keith
0: is in Illinois. Keith, what do you have for the two Michaels today?
3: Hey, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Um, In Genesis 35, verse 16, it talks about Rachel and about her about to give birth to Benjamin, And it says they were on their way to Bethlehem, but then she went into labor, and she ends up dying. I heard that she actually died in Ramah, which is close to Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. But when we hear about the children being killed when Herod is looking for the baby, uh, we always get the idea that in Bethlehem, he went back to the city of David and then killed the children there.
2: So uh, is Ramah in Bethlehem? So close that they're almost oh, uh, the same. Do you, do you mean the quotation from Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen that's quoted in Matthew two about a voice was crying in Ramah, Rachel weeping yes. for her children? Okay.
3: Yes, because it says that her child, she named him ben Bennoh or something.
0: Yeah,
2: like yeah. Okay, okay. So this is what. First of all, it's not from Genesis that that's talking about. What this is saying is that in Genesis uh, thirty-five sixteen. They set out from Bethel, and while they were still some des- distance from Ephrat, Ephrat, like Bethlehem, Ephrata, they mm-hmm. were still just outside of Bethlehem. Rachel gave ber- began to give birth, and then she died. So there's actually a, uh, there is a, a Jewish community there in Ephrat nowadays, and that's what they call it, Ephrat. Uh, now, as for Jeremiah 31.15, Ramah was the place where they gathered the the captives to bring them to Babylon, the young men. And also, it's where their mothers gathered to say goodbye to their sons who were being dragged off to Babylon. And the Jewish motherhood, they were weeping for their sons, those who had died in the conquest by Babylon in 586, and those who were. Uh, taken captive and brought to Babylon. And in Jeremiah 31, 15, it says that uh, a voice was heard in Ramah, Rachel representing Jewish motherhood, not literal Rachel, but Rachel, the matriarch, Jewish motherhood, weeping for her children. And then when you come to Matthew 2, that verse is applied. It is saying Mm. that every time Jewish children are murdered in an unjustifiable, terrible way. Uh, obviously, Jewish motherhood always weeps for her children. That was true in 586 BC in Ramah. It's also true there in Bethlehem as they weep for the, the slaughtered of the, the innocent who were slaughtered. Uh, and also it was true in, uh, in Krakow and in uh, uh, Kiev and in all those places where Jewish, a million and a half Jewish children Murdered by the Nazis, Rachel wept for her children then as well. Mm -hmm. And we could add to that the events in Israel
0: in October. This program you're listening to happened in 2018. We'll get back to the conversation with the two Michaels. Real quickly, uh, the, the ministry of Care Net, even though it's Christmas Day, the ministry of Care Net keeps going because they care about the unborn and they also care about the mom who's carrying that baby, trying to make a hard decision, and the father of that child as well. Care Net, if, if you go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org, even on Christmas Day, you can click that green tab and you'll see some really encouraging news about what's going on on that front, that pro abundant life front. Click CareNet when you go to chrisfabrylive.org. Our remaining moments with the Michaels coming up straight ahead on Moody Radio. Our remaining moments with the two Michaels, and you knew if we are going to talk about the Christmas story, we've got to go to the inn. And in order to do that, we're going to Idaho. And Mieka is on the line. And I looked up the town. said is a city in Benawah County, Idaho. Population was 123 in the 2010 census. So it's a real small town there uh, within the Coeur Reservation, accessed by U.S. Route 95. So we take you live now to said. Idaho, and here is Mieka. Hi, Mieka. How are you?
3: Oh, I'm good. How are you?
0: Doing well. Glad you called. What's your question?
3: I was just wondering. Recently, uh, we had heard that maybe it wasn't true um, completely, that there was no room in the inn um, for Mary and Joseph, maybe because she was pregnant and the innkeeper saw she was about to give birth shortly and his room would be unclean for the next 40 days.
1: mmm. You know, okay, for one thing, um, Jesus was um, not left out of an inn. Mary and Joseph went down to Bethlehem and almost certainly were going to be staying with uh, relatives. They were supposed to go back to their ancestral home. There was a census that was being taken so the Romans could accurately assess and tax um, Judea. And so uh, they went down there and were probably staying with relatives but it says, um, while they were there in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 6, and so they were there a while. It's not like they wandered in and then four hours or 40 minutes later, she gave birth. They were there a while. The days were completed for her to give birth, verse 7, Luke 2. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was new room for them in the, and then it uses a word that would be better translated, guest room. That Mm -hmm. same word is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 11, when Jesus says, I'm going to send you guys, you guys are going to go into the city, and you're going to find somebody who owns a house, and you're going to say, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And so we're not talking about how there was no inn that wouldn't take them. The, the, The relative's home with the guest room in Bethlehem, there were so many people probably in that home who had come from all over that there wasn't room in there for Mary to have privacy to be able to give birth. And so what do they do? They, they give birth to what would have been considered the garage, but animals would have been kept in that garage. And so there would have been privacy. Maybe they wouldn't be bothering the people. The people wouldn't be bothering them. Mary would have the privacy to be able to give birth. And so I, I, it's it's I think a misunderstanding to think that they were turned away from an inn. The guest house of a of the relative where they were was full up with others. And
2: just uh, the text says it was because there was no room. It doesn't say anything about uncleanness. And I think we just have to give the priority to the text and and not try to get a background that to to have deeper insight. You know, sometimes the, the best insight is just what the uh, all the time I think the best insight yeah. is what the text says. Yeah
0: you've taken away though the the idyllic you know there was there was no the rejection of jesus and then the Metaphorical of of advan, adva, advantage that you can say many people don't make room for Jesus in their hearts, just yeah. like the innkeeper, and so we can't do that anymore. No, I just have to lament
1: that. No, we'll have to find some other lesson that's actually there in the text yeah. from which we can benefit. <laughs> you know? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah.
0: How yeah. hard is that going to be? Well, there
1: w- there was no room; there it was crowded. There we could just use that, right? Sure. Uh, Well, I mean, there's there's a sense in which, you know, how come the relatives couldn't move out of the guest room? Why couldn't they go sleep on the porch? Why couldn't they go sleep with the animals and give Mary the privacy? You know, who knows? Although it was in that particular culture, the older people had all the mm -hmm. honor and there were probably older people there. And so they would have superseded Mary and Joseph at that time. And so we don't know the reasons or the mechanics behind why the decision was made. We just know what they did. Um, there's an email here. And Mieka, thank you for your call today. I was
0: wondering about the star that the Magi saw. Is it in the heavenly light? And you mentioned, Michael a little bit ago, the Shekinah glory. Is it mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament? Is that prophesied at all? Uh,
2: the, there are some people who relate it back to Numbers 24 uh, because there it says a star will arise out of Jacob. Uh, mm mm-hmm. And I I do believe that Numbers 24 is a messianic prophecy, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's referring to the star of Bethlehem. Uh, I I do think that it is talking about uh, the Messiah. The word star was used in a lot of ancient literature as a metaphor for a king. And so I think that that's what it's talking about in this. uh, It's I, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near a star meaning the king mm. will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel and he will mm. smash the forehead of Moab, which is an allusion back to Genesis 3.15, the seed that crushes the, the, uh, the forehead of the serpent. He is the one that will come and, and be the king uh, who will lead Israel. And so I don't think it's that. I do want to say something that about the Star of Bethlehem. A friend of mine, uh, I bet you've interviewed him sometime. Have you interviewed Ken Boa? Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Ken Boa.
0: We had him on last year. It's one of the best programs last
2: year was Ken Boa. He's like the smartest guy I've ever met. And he was an astronomy major for his undergraduate, so his master's thesis he did on the Star of Bethlehem. And he wrote a book that got published called uh, The Return of the Star of Bethlehem. But if you go to KenBoa.org, he's got a little synopsis of that book and then also a video that you can click on and see all about the Star of Bethlehem, his teaching on it, and uh, it, I just, you know, I read that book a long time ago, uh, which just shows how old I am. But anyway, I read that a long time ago, and it's so so persuasive about it being the the Shekinah glory, the presence of God that led them, the glory of God that led them.
1: So, so I I'm not familiar with his book or anything. He doesn't believe it was a natural alignment of stars or no, something. No, no. Good for him because. I think it's supernatural as well. This star, it says, went on before them, before the Magi, Until it came and stood over the place where the child was. The star moves around. Yeah,
2: He has three things that make it, uh, that reveals the notable qualities. The star failed to catch attention in the general public. If it was just a star, everyone would have seen it. He says, second, after the star appeared to the Magi to lead them to Bethlehem, it disappeared, and then it reappears. And stars don't do that. And then finally, unlike an ordinary star, this star had a directional capacity that enabled the Magi to pinpoint the precise location of the Messiah's house
1: good for him and and That's so right.
2: i just think his work on this is terrific and you can you can just go to Kemboa.org.
1: i'm going to check that out yeah
2: it's it's really terrific
1: and
0: i think what you just heard between the two michaels there is one of the reasons why moody radio is so important somebody sees something somebody reads something and they share that treasure with someone else someone wants to know more about the bible and they call a program like this and they get answers to real, honest questions. And there's just a spirit here. You heard it all this hour, five years ago. Every time the Michaels come on, there is this spirit because we have a committed reverence for God's word. We have a love for God's word and an interest in knowing not how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, But what did the writer mean? What did Luke mean here? Why did Mark include this and John and and say, and what did Paul, who is Paul writing and how does that apply to me? Oh, if only we knew the name of the innkeeper, right? (laughs) Thank you for giving us this hour on a Christmas day. I sure hope you enjoyed our trek through the Bible. The two Michaels are going to be back in January. That is our plan and we are going to stick to it. They put the air in Mary, so Merry Christmas from all of us. And I'll close with this. This is how we ended the program five years ago. I read this line, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. (laughs) Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Don't let the angels just sing this. You sing it today. Glory to the newborn King. God bless you, friend. Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody
1: Bible Institute.